Chapter 9 of With Frederick the Great, A Story of the Seven Years' War by G. A. Henty. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Gary Ullman. Chapter 9 In Disguise. Leet Moritz, lying as it did but a short distance beyond the mouth of the defiles leading into Saxony, was an admirably chosen position. Supplies for the army could be brought up by the Elf, and a retreat was assured, should an overwhelming force advance to the attack, while from this spot Frederick could march at once either to the defense of Silesia or to check an enemy approaching from the west towards the defiles through the mountains. The news of the defeat at Kolin set all the enemies of Prussia in movement. The Russian army entered East Prussia, where there was no adequate force to oppose it. The Swedes issued from Stalzund. The French pressed hard upon the so-called British column of observation and forced the Duke of Cumberland to retreat before them. Another French army, in conjunction with that of the German Confederacy, threatened the western passes into Saxony. As yet, it was impossible to say where Marshal Don and Prince Karl would deliver their blow, and great efforts were made to fill up the terrible gaps created at Prague and Kolin. In the regiments most hotly engaged with fresh troops, who were speedily rendered by incessant drills and discipline, fit to take their places in the ranks with the veterans. The king was lodged in a cathedral close to the city. Keith with his division, occupied the other side of the river, across which a bridge was at once thrown. Prince Maurice and Bevern had gone to Bunslaw at the junction of the Iser and Elbe, but when, upon a crowd of light Austrian horses approaching, the prince sent to the king to ask whether he should retreat. He was at once recalled, and the prince of Russia appointed in his stead. On the 2nd of July came news which, on top of his other troubles, almost prostrated Frederick. This was of the death of his mother, to whom he was most fondly attached. He retired from public view for some days, for although he was as iron in the hour of battle, he was a man of very sensitive disposition and fondly attached to his family. His chief confidant during this sad time was the English ambassador. Mitchell, a bluff, shrewd, hardy man for whom the king had conceived a close friendship. He had accompanied Frederick from the time he left Berlin and had even been near him on the battlefield, and it was in no small degree due to his dispatches and correspondence that we have obtained so close a view of Frederick, the man as distinct from Frederick the king and general. The prince of Prussia, however did no better than prince maurice the main austrian army after much hesitation at last crossed the elbe and moved against him thinking doubtless that he was a less formidable antagonist than the king the prince fell back but in such hesitating and blundering fashion that he allowed the austrians to get between him and his base the town of zittor where his magazines had been established Zittor stood at the foot of the mountain and was a Saxon town. The Austrians had come to deliver Saxony, and they began the work by firing red-hot balls 
into Zitto, thereby laying the whole town in ashes, rendering 10,000 people homeless, and doing no injury whatever to the Prussian garrison or magazines. The heat, however, from the ruins was so terrible that the five battalions in garrison there were unable to support it, and evacuating the town joined the prince's army, which immediately retired to Bautzen on the other side of the mountains, leaving the defiles to Saxony and Silesia both unguarded. As messenger after messenger arrived at Lietberitz with reports of the movements of the troops, the astonishment and indignation of Frederick rose higher and higher. The whole fruits of the campaign were lost by this astounding succession of blunders, and on hearing that Zittau had been destroyed and that the army had arrived at Bautzen in the condition of a beaten and disheartened force, he had once started with the bulk of the army by the Elbe passes for that town, leaving Maurice of Dessau with 10,000 men to secure the passes and Keith to follow more slowly with the baggage train and magazines. On his arrival at Bautzen, Frederick refused to speak to his brother, but sent him a message saying that he deserved to be brought before a court-martial which would sentence him and all his generals to death, but that he should not carry the matter so far, being unable to forget that the chief offender was his brother. The prince resigned his command, and the king, in answer to his letter to that effect, said that in the situation created by him, nothing was left but to try the last extremity i must go and give battle he wrote and if we cannot conquer we must all of us get ourselves killed frederick indeed as his letters show had fully made up his mind that he would die in battle rather than live beaten the animosity of his enemies was to a large extent personal to himself and he believed that they would after his death be inclined to give better terms to Prussia than they would even grant while he lived. For three weeks the king vainly tried to get the Austrians to give battle, but Prince Karl and Dorn remained on the hill from which they had bombarded Zittau, and which they had now strongly fortified. The barbarous and most useless bombardment of Zittau had done their cause harm, for it roused a fierce cry of indignation throughout Europe even among their allies, excited public feeling in England to the highest point in favor of Frederick and created a strong feeling of hostility to the Austrians throughout Saxony. As soon as Keith and the wagon train arrived, bringing up the Prussian strength to 56,000, the king started on the 15th August, 1757, for Bernstadt, and then, to the stupefaction of the Austrians, who had believed that they had either Saxony or Silesia at their mercy, whenever they could take up their mind, which ought first to be gobbled up. So rapidly did the Prussian cavalry push forward that Generals Beck and Adasti were both so taken by surprise that they had to ride for their lives, leaving baggage coaches, horses, and all their belongings behind them. On the 16th, Frederick, with the army, marched and offered battle to the Austrians, but although so superior in numbers, they refused to be beguiled from their fortified hill. 
at last after tempting them in vain frederick was forced to abandon the attempt and return to saxony bitterly disappointed he had wanted above all things to finish with the austrians so as to be able to move off to the other points threatened he now arranged that bevern and winterfield should take the command in his absence watch the austrians and guard silesia while he with his twenty three thousand men marched on the thirty first of august from dresden with the intention of attacking the combined french and german confederacy force under soubise they had already reached erfurt keith accompanied the king on his harassing march since the arrival of the army at Leipmaritz, fergus had been incessantly engaged in carrying dispatches between that town and dresden and worked even harder while the king was trying but in vain to bring about an engagement with the austrians for the first few days after starting for erfurt he had a comparatively quiet time the marshal was now constantly the king's companion his cheerful and buoyant temperature being invaluable to frederick in this time of terrible anxiety fergus would have found it dull work had it not been for the companionship of lindsay who was always light-hearted and ready to make the best of anything i would rather be an aide-de-camp than a general at present drummond he said one day thank goodness we get our orders and have to carry them out and leave all the thinking to be done by others never was there such a mess as this here we are in october and we are very much as we were when we began to march yes except that all our enemies are drawing closer to us they are closer certainly but none of them would seem to know what he wants to do and as for fighting it is of all things that which they most avoid we have been trying for the last two months for a fight with the austrians and cannot get one now we are off to erfurt and i will wager a month's pay that the french will retire as soon as we approach and we shall have all this long tramp for nothing and we'll have to hurry back again as fast as we came it is unfortunate that we had to come lindsay things always seem to go badly when the king himself is not present the princes make blunder after blunder and i have no faith in beverly no lindsay agreed but he has winterfield with him yes he is a splendid fellow drummond said but everyone knows that he and beverly do not get on well together and that the duke would very much rather that winterfield was not with him and with two men like that the one slow and cautious the other quick and daring there are sure to be disagreements we are going to attack a force more than twice our own strength but i am much more certain as to what will be the result than i am that we shall find matters unchanged when we get back there the foreboding was very quickly confirmed a day or two later came the news that the austrians had suddenly attacked an advanced position called the jacobsburg where winterfield who commanded the van of bevern's army had posted two thousand grenadiers prince karl undertook the operation by no means willingly but the indignation at vienna and his long delays had resulted in imperative orders being sent to him to fight nadasti was to lead the attack with fifteen thousand men while the main army remained a short distance behind ready to move up should a general battle be brought on 
the march was made at night. And at daybreak, a thousand crows and forty companies of regular infantry rushed up the hill. Although taken by surprise, the Prussians promptly formed and drove them down again. Winterfield was some miles behind, having been escorting an important convoy, and rode at a gallop to the spot. As soon as he heard the sound of cannon, and brought up two regiments at a run, just as the grenadiers were retiring from the hill, unable to withstand the masses hurled against them. Sending urgent messages to Bevern to hurry up reinforcements, Winterfield led his two regiments forward, joining the grenadiers, and rushing eagerly up the hill, regained the position. But the Austrians were not to be denied, and the fight was obstinately sustained on both sides. No reinforcements reached Winterfield, and after an hour's desperate fighting, he was struck in the breast by a musket ball and fell mortally wounded. The Prussians drew off slowly and in good order at two o'clock in the afternoon, and soon afterwards the Austrians also retired. Nothing having come of this useless battle, save heavy loss to both sides and the killing of one of Frederick's best and most trusted generals. It was not, however, without result for Bevern, freed from the restraint of his energetic colleague, and once fell back to Schlesen, where he was more comfortable near his magazines. Keith sent for Fergus on the evening when this bad news had arrived. I want you, lad, to undertake a dangerous service. Now that Winterfield has been killed, the king is more anxious than ever as to the situation. It is enough to madden anyone. It is imperative that he should get to Erfurt and fight the French. On the other hand, everything may go wrong with Bevan while he is away, to say nothing of other troubles. Cumberland is retreating to the sea. The Russians are ever gaining ground in East Prussia. There is nothing now to prevent the remaining French army from marching on Berlin, and the Swedes have issued from Stralsund. It may be that by this time, Subice has moved from Erfurt, and this is what, above all things, we want to know. You showed so much shrewdness in your last adventure that I believe you might get through this safely. Doubtless there are cavalry parties far in advance of Erfurt, and these would have to be passed. The point is, when you undertake this mission, to go to Erfurt to ascertain the force there and, if possible, their intentions, and bring us back word. I shall be glad to try, Marshal, that there should be no difficulty about it. I shall, of course, go in disguise. I should not be likely to fall in with any of the enemy's cavalry patrols till within a short distance of Erfurt. But should I do so, there would be little chance of their catching me, mounted as I am. I can leave my horse within a short distance of the town. Two or three hours would be sufficient to gather news of the strength of the forces there and the movements of any bodies of detached troops. Yes, you should have no great difficulty about that. A large proportion of the population are favorable to us and, being so near the frontier of Hanover, your accent and theirs must be so close that no one would suspect you of being aught but a townsman. Of course, the great thing is speed. We shall march from 18 to 20 miles a day. You will be able to go 50. That is to say, if you start at once, 
you can be there in the morning and on the following morning you can bring us back news an hour later fergus dressed as a small farmer started it was a main line of road and therefore he was able to travel as fast at night as he would do in the day there was the advantage too that the disparity between his attire and the appearance of the horse he rode would pass unnoticed in the darkness he had with him a map of the road on a large scale and beneath his cloak he carried a small lantern so as to be able to make detours to avoid towns where detachments of the enemy's cavalry might be lying he had started two hours after the troops halted and had four hours of daylight still before him which he made the most of and by sunset he was within fifteen miles of erfurt so far he had not left the main road but he now learned from some peasants that there was a small party of french hussars at a place three miles ahead he therefore struck off by a by-road and travelling slowly along turned off two hours later to a farmhouse the lights from which had made him aware of its proximity he dismounted a hundred yards from it fastened his horse loosely to a fence and then went forward on foot and peeped in cautiously at the window it was well that he had taken the precaution for the kitchen into which he looked contained a dozen french hussars he retired at once led his horse until he reached the road again and then mounted presently he met a man driving a cart my friend he said do you know of any place where a quiet man could put up without running the risk of finding himself in the midst of these french and confederacy troops tis not easy the man replied for they are all over the country pillaging and plundering we are heartily sick of them and there are not a few of us who would be glad if the king of prussia would come and turn them out neck and crop i don't care what sort of place it is so that i could put my horse on it is a good one and like enough some of these fellows would take a fancy to it i don't think that it would be safe in any farmhouse within ten miles of here but if you like to come with me my hut stands at the edge of the wood and you can leave him there without much risk thank you very much that would suit me well it's just what i had intended to do but in the darkness i had no great chance of finding a wood how far are we from erfurt now about five miles that will do very well i have some business to do there and can go and come back by the afternoon in a quarter of an hour they arrived at the man's house and he says it was but a small place not much to rob here his host said grimly they have taken my two cows and all my poultry my horse only escaped because they did not think him fit for anything this is a stranger wife he went on as the woman rose in some alarm from the stool upon which she was crouching by the fire he will stop here for the night and though there is little enough to offer him at least we can make him welcome he took a torch from the corner of the room, lighted it at the fire, and went out. You are right about your horse, my friend, he said, and it is small chance you would have of taking him back with you. If any of these fellows set eyes on him, I see your saddlery hardly marches with your horse. Fergus had, indeed, before starting, taken off his saddle and other military equipments and had replaced them with a common country saddle and bridle. 
getting a pair of rough wallets and the commonest of horse cloths, so as to disguise the animal as much as possible. I'm sorry that I cannot give you a feed for the animal, the man went on, but I have none, and my horse has to make shift with what he can pick up. I have one of my wallets full. I baited the horse at inns as I came along. He may as well have a feed before I take him out into the wood. He poured a good feed onto a flat stone, and as he did so, the peasant's horse lifted up his head and sniffed the air. You shall have some too, old boy, Fergus said, and going across was about to empty some of it on the ground before it, when its owner, taking off his head, held it out. Put it into this, he said. It is seldom indeed that he gets such a treat, and it would not that he should lose a grain. Fergus poured a bountiful feed into the hat. Now, he said, I can supplement your supper as well as your horses. And from the other wallet, he produced a cold leg of pork that Carter put in before he started, together with three loaves and two bottles of wine carefully done up in straw. The peasant looked astonished as Fergus took these out and placed them upon the table. No, no, sir, he said, we cannot take your food in that way. You are hardly welcome to it, Fergus said. If you do not assist me to eat it, it will be wasted. Tomorrow I shall breakfast at Erfurt and maybe dine also. I will start as soon as I get back. Well, well, sir, it shall be as you please, the man said. But it seems to me that we are reversing our parts and that you have become the host and we are your guests. It was a pleasant meal by the torchlight. Many a month has passed since the peasants had tasted meat and the bread fresh from Prussian bakeries was of a very different quality to the black oat bread to which they were accustomed. A horn of good wine completed their enjoyment. When the meal was done, the man said, Now, master, I will guide you to the wood. There was no occasion to lead the horse, for it, as well as its companion, had been trained to follow their masters like dogs and to come to a whistle. The wood was but two or three hundred yards off, and the peasant led the way through the trees to a small open space in its center. The saddle and bridle had been removed before they left the cottage, and Fergus tethered the horse by a foot rope to a sapling growing on the edge of the clearing. Then he patted it on the neck and left it beginning to crop the short grass. It won't get much, the peasant said, for my animal keeps it pretty short, but it is his best feeding place. Now, and I generally turn him out here at night when the day's work is done. What is its work principally? There is only one sort now, the man said. I cut faggots in the forest, take a cartload into Euphrit twice a week. I hope by the spring that all these troubles will be over, and then I cultivate two or three acres of ground. But so long as these French and the Confederacy troops are about, it is no use to think of growing anything. Now, sir, is there anything that I can do for you? He went on after they returned to the cottage and had both lit their pipes and seated themselves by the fire. I can see that you are not what you look. A farmer does not ride about the country on a horse fit for a king or put up at a cottage like this. Yes, you can help me by leading me by quiet paths to Erfurt. I tell you frankly that my business there is to find out how strong the French and confederacy army is 
in and around the town also whether they are taking any precautions against an attack and if there are any signs that they intend to enter hanover or to move towards dresden i dare say i can learn all that for you without difficulty for i supply several of the inns with faggots there are troops quartered in all of them and the helpers and servants are sure to hear what is going on not of course in the inns where the French are quartered, but where the German men are lodged. They speak plainly enough there, and indeed everyone knows that a great many of them are there against their will. The Hess and Gotha and Dresau men would all prefer fighting on the Prussian side, but when they were called out, they had to obey. At what time will you start? I should like to get to Erfurt as soon as the place is astir that is by five the man said there was a trumpeting and a drumming enough by that time and no one could sleep longer if they wanted to then we should start at dawn the peasant would have given up his bed to fergus but the latter would not hear of it and said that he was quite accustomed to sleeping on the ground whereupon the peasant went out and returned with a large handful of rushes which as he told fergus he had cut only the day before to mend the hole in the thatch Fergus was well content, for he knew well enough that he should sleep very much better on fresh rushes than he should in the peasant's bed place, where he would probably be assailed by an army of fleas. As soon as the man and his wife were astir in the morning, Fergus got up, bathed his head and face in a tiny streamlet, then ran within a few yards of the house. Then, after cutting a bunch of bread to eat on their way, the two started. They did not come down upon the main road until within a mile and a half of the town, and they then passed through a large village, where a troop of French cavalry were engaged in grooming their horses. They attracted no attention whatever, and entered Urfurt at a quarter past five. They separated when they got into town, agreeing to meet in front of the cathedral at eleven o'clock. Fergus went to an eating place, where he saw a party of French non-commissioned officers and soldiers seated. They were talking freely, confident that neither the landlord, the man who was serving them, nor the two or three Germans present could understand them. It was evident that they had very little confidence in Soubise. One would think, a sergeant said, that we were going to change our nationality and to settle down here for life. Here we have some 50,000 men, and there is nothing to stop our going to Dresden except some 10,000 or 12,000 Prussians. They say that Dawn has an army that can eat up Frederick, and it is certain that he could not spare a sergeant's guard to help by the way. I cannot understand it, comrades. This leisurely way of making war may suit some people, but it is not our way. And we must admit that it is not the Prussians' way, another said they are our enemies though why i am sure i don't know that is not our business but the way that they dash out and set the austrians dancing is really splendid i wish that our own generals had a little of fritz's energy and go there was a general murmur of assent here we are september beginning and next to nothing done now there would be enough to do if Fritz could get away from dawn and dash off in this direction. Yes, another said, there would be plenty to do, but I would not mind majoring that we should not wait for him 
And after all, I am not sure if it would not be the best thing to do. For these Germans with us are little better than a rabble. That is so, Francois. But mixed up with us as they would be, they would have to fight whether they liked it or not. At any rate, if we don't mean to fight, what are we here for? That I cannot say, another laughs. But I own I am not so eager to fight as you seem to be. We are very comfortable. We ride about the country. We take pretty well what we like. It is better than being in barracks at home. While, on the other hand, it is no joke fighting these Prussians. The fights are not skirmishes. They are battles. It is not a question of a few hundred killed. It is a question of ding-dong fighting. And of 15 or 20,000 killed on each side. No joke that. For my part, I am quite content to take it easy at Erfurt and to leave it to the Austrians to settle matters with these obstinate fellows. So they continued talking, and Fergus saw that so far no news whatever of Frederick's march against Erfurt had reached him. He learned, too, that although there were some outlying bodies to the north, the main bulk of the force lay in and around Erfurt. The contempt in which the French soldiers spoke of the German portion of the army was very great. Each little state had, by the order of the Council of the Confederacy, been compelled to furnish a contingent, even if its representatives in the Council had opposed the proposal. Therefore, very many of the men had joined unwillingly, while in other cases the French declared that the levy had been made up by hiring idlers and ne'er-do-wells in the towns so as to avoid having to put the conscription into force in the rural district. The officers were declared to be as incapable as the men, and had not been that an Austrian contingent, some 5,000 strong, had been joined with them, and the drilling largely undertaken by the non-commissioned officers of this force, nothing approaching order or discipline could have been maintained. All the Frenchmen lamented their fortune in having to act with such allies, instead of being with the purely French army that was gradually pressing the Duke of Cumberland to the seaboard. Fergus waited until the party had left the inn. When the landlord himself came across to hand him his reckoning. Bad times, master, he said. Bad times, shaking his head ruefully. Yes, they are bad enough, landlord, but I should say that you must be doing a good trade with all these soldiers in town. A good trade? The landlord repeated. I am being ruined. Do you not know that in addition to levying a heavy contribution on the town, they issued a regulation settling the price at which the troops were to be served at beer shops and inns, breakfast, and you saw what those fellows ate, fourpence. A tumbler of wine, one pence. Dinner, five pence. For well, each item costs me more than double that, and as nobody brings in cattle, for these might be seized on the way, and no compensation given, so meat gets dearer. We are waiting until there is none to be had on any terms, and then we shall send representatives to the general to point out to him that it is absolutely impossible for us to obey the regulations. Ah, these are terrible times. We could not have suffered more than this. Had Colbert joined Frederick, though they say that Richelieu's French army is plundering even worse in Hanover, 
and the country behind it that Tobias is doing here. Moreover, one would rather be plundered by an enemy than by fellows who friends who pretend to come hither as friends. If Frederick would march in here, I would open my house free to all comers, and would not grudge the last drop of wine in my cellar. There is never any saying, Fergus replied. The king of Prussia always appears when least expected, and more unlikely things have happened that he should appear here some fine morning. As he was sallying out, a mounted officer dashed by at a headlong gallop. His horse flecked with foam, and it was evident that he had ridden far and fast on an important errand. Having nothing to do until he should meet the peasant, Fergus followed the officer at a leisurely pace, and in five minutes came up with the horse, held by a soldier at the entrance gate of a very large house. Sentries were pacing up and down in front of it, and officers going in and out. Is that the headquarters of the French general? He asked the townsman. Yes, and the man walked on with a muttered malediction. A few minutes later, several mounted officers rode out and dashed off in haste in various directions. There is evidently something up, Fergus said to himself. Perhaps they have got news of the Prussian approach. In a quarter of an hour, several general officers arrived and entered the house. It was evident that a council of war had been summoned. Half an hour elapsed, and then a number of aides de camp and staff officers rode off in haste. A few minutes later, a trumpet sounded, a regimental call, and then the assembly. Before it had died away, similar calls echoed from all parts of town. Soldiers ran hastily through the streets, mounted officers dashed in every direction, and the citizens came to their doors in surprise at this sudden movement. Fergus had no longer any doubt about the cause of the stir. The great thing now was to ascertain whether the army would advance to take up some strong position outside the town and oppose the Prussian advance, or whether they would march away. Being 50,000 in number, the former would appear to be the natural course for a general to adopt, as Frederick had with him but 23,000 men. Of this fact, however, Subhais would be ignorant and might only have heard that the Prussian army was marching to annihilate him. Before long, baggage wagons began to clatter through the streets. They were being driven westward, and it was in the same direction that the regiments made their way. Fergus followed them to the plain outside the town. The tents had already been struck. The troops, as they arrived from the town and camp, were marshaled in order. A long train of baggage wagons were already making their way westward, and there was no longer any grounds for doubt that Subais was retreating. It was just eleven o'clock when Fergus returned to the cathedral. The peasant was awaiting him. They all seemed on the move, the latter said. I have heard much about them. It does not matter now, Fergus replied. I must get back to your place as quickly as I can. Not a word was spoken until they had left the town. They must be going up into Hanover to join the French army there, the peasant said. They are running away. Frederick will be here tomorrow night or at any rate the next day. The news seems too good to be true, master. How have you learnt it? 
I have learnt it from no one here. I am one of the king's officers, and I came out here to find out whether the enemy would be likely to come out and fight or would bolt when they heard of his advance. The Lord be praised, the man said piously, taking off his hat as he spoke. I thought, sir, that there was something curious in your having such a horse, and still more so in your wanting to find out all about the force of the enemy here. But it was no business of mine, and I felt that you must be a friend for, had you been Austrian or French, you would have ridden boldly into the town. As they went along the road, they were met by several troops of cavalry, riding at full speed. Is the way we came this morning the shortest? Yes, sir, by a good mile. Then we will return by it, said Fergus. As soon as they left the main road, they went at a run for some distance and then broke into a fast walk. In an hour from the time of leaving Erfurt, they arrived at the hut. I will run along and fetch your horse, sir, the peasant said. No, I will go myself. He does not know you, and he might refuse to let you come near him. In a few minutes, Fergus returned with his horse. The saddle, bridle, and wallets were quickly put on. Fergus dropped his pistols into his saddlebag, buckled on the sword he had brought with him. It was not his own, the one he had bought at starting. A good piece of steel, but with a battered and rusty sheath that showed that it had been lying for weeks possibly for months on some field of battle before being picked up then with a word of adieu and thanks to the peasant and his wife and slipping a crown piece into the hand of the latter he mounted and rode off end of chapter nine